0: Wow. Everybody got silence. That was good. Welcome to the firehouse, or welcome back. Uh, we did have one missing announcement I wanted to throw out really quick before we got going. Uh, there's this thing called the Highland Haunt, which as you might imagine is uh, tied in with uh, Halloween. And it is, uh, where's Rich? Is he in here? I think, is Rich, is the Highland Haunt on sa- the Saturday before... Saturday the 26th. And so what happens is a bunch of people, families, take their kids over here on the 32nd Street and they like go up and down. There's vendors giving out candy to the kids. It's kind of like a daytime Halloween thing. It's great. So if you have kids and you'd like to go do that, that would be fantastic. But as a church, we also set up a booth so we'd be involved in our community. And so if you would like to volunteer for a shift to run that booth, Maybe some of you like to wear costumes as adults. You've never gotten over that whole costume wearing thing in October. Um, And you'd like to run that, or maybe you don't like to wear costumes, but you'd still like to be part of it and be there at the booth giving out candy to the kids and giving out information about our church. You could talk to Rich. Afterwards, Right, Rich? The, or Daryl? Daryl's over here. Yes, that's right. Daryl's in charge of it for us here. So uh, that's my little pitch of announcement. So that being said, I'm going to pray, and then we will uh, dive in here to teaching. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be gathered this morning. and um, Lord, as we quiet our hearts, we want to hear from you. Lord, I trust that you've brought people here today who are supposed to be here today, Lord. Each one of us, whether we've been planning all week to be here or we stumbled in the door this morning, uh, just not sure uh, how we ended up here, Lord, but we're here. Lord, and I think you have something to share with us, God. So I pray you take me out of the way, Lord, that you would speak clearly from your word uh, into each person's life, Lord, as we answer these questions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So welcome again or welcome back. Uh, This is week two of What on Earth Am I Here For? I love that question, what on earth am I here for? It's kind of like that classic rhetorical question, what's the meaning of life? What I love even more is that at the firehouse we've got the audacity to try to answer that question. Every single one of us has a need to answer this question in our lives. We might think it's kind of this funny joke, or what's the meaning of life? And and Rich talked about it some last week, but I'm surmising that in one way or another, um, if you're here today with us, you're looking maybe for some answers about maybe what is the meaning of life, or what on earth am I here for? So last week, like I said, Rich gave us sort of the first piece of the puzzle. That first piece was that you were called by God. So to move forward from what Rich shared last week, where do we learn about this God who's called us? Well, there's lots of places to learn about Him, but the key place we're going to look to is the Bible, which has got all the written information about God. And what does this Bible tell us about God? Well, again, lots of things. But the primary thing, in fact, the whole theme of the Bible, I'm going to clue you in. If you didn't know that there was a theme to the Bible, I'm going to give it to you right now. God is love. It's not that God doesn't he doesn't just have love. He doesn't just show love. He is love. Love is the nature, the character, the essence of God. Without God, there would be no love in the universe. So, lean over to your special someone right now and say, "I can love you because God is love." Do that. Okay, no as single guys, you can't just lean over to each other. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> The Bible says this in Ephesians 1. It says, long ago, even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us. So if we stop right there, before God even created the universe, He had already chosen you and loved you. That means He'd made the universe so that He could make the earth, so that He could make the human race, so that He could make you, so that He could love you. So if God hadn't wanted to love you, nothing would be here. It's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it, right? God made everything we can see for me. But that understanding, and bear with me if you think that's kind of cosmic, but bear with me, that leads us to understand the first purpose of our life. And the first purpose of my life is to be loved by God. See, think about it. If the first purpose of your life is to love God, that means it's not to serve God. It's not to trust God. It's not to obey God. See, those are all good things, but that's not the first purpose. The first purpose of life, in fact, is not even for you to love God. There's a distinction there. The first purpose of your life, instead, is to let God love you. See, God didn't create you primarily to do something, or to be something. He created you to receive something. So if you catch this, it's going to transform your life. Like it's transformed mine, and it's it's transformed a lot of people who are here today. So you recognize that I was made to be the receptacle, a receiver, a benefactor of God's love. And so if you came today, and then you're going to walk out the door at the end, and you take just one thing with you, I want it to be this: understanding that your first duty is not to do something, but to be loved. could say that together. Repeat after me. My first duty is not to do something. but to be loved. OK. Hopefully you can remember that. I think you're supposed to do that seven times, right? To get the, You could do it seven times in your head. We won't take the time for that this morning. So if we can absorb this idea, this first purpose, it can lead us where God intended to lead us in life. It can really flesh out that calling that Rich was talking about last week. So where can we look further for this? Obviously we're going to head back to the Bible. And what we're looking for when we look in the Bible is a place where we see the love of God tied directly to an action step or a calling for our lives. And one place to find this is going to be in the book of Jude. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. So he was the biological son of Mary and Joseph, right? we right towards Christmas and that story. They had other children later. One of them was Jude. So he knew something about Jesus. And he wrote clearly in 25 verses in his book about a lot of different things. But one thing, the first verse in this book... He says this, I'm writing to all who are called to live in the love of God the Father and in the care of Jesus Christ. There it is, called. Called to what? Called to live in the love of God. It's very simple. So if the first purpose of my life is to be loved by God, then my first calling is to enjoy a relationship with God. the purpose is to be loved by God, my calling is to enjoy a relationship with God and this is really fundamental, and that's what I'm saying, is that the number one calling in your life is not a role, it's not a responsibility, it's not a bunch of rules, it's not regulations, it's not ritual, it's not religion. It's a relationship. So what distinguishes the Christian faith from other religions? That's kind of a trick question because actually Christianity at its core is not a religion. See, people try to make it a religion. In history, people have tried to make it a religion. And today, people are trying to make it a religion. They try to add rules and regulations and rituals. But Christianity, at its core, is not about that. Jesus said very clearly, and there Jude echoes it. Christianity is about a relationship. God sent Christ so that you could have a relationship. Not a religion. A relationship. Why? Because God is what? Love. And He wants you to learn to experience His love. So does God want you to be a slave? No, that doesn't sound very loving. How about His servant? No. Are you supposed to be God's soldier and fight His battles for right and wrong in the world? No. Does God want you to be His employee? No, I bet He would pay well, but that's not what He wants for you. Does God want you to be His minion? I just love saying that word, minion. No, he doesn't want you to be his minion. He wants you to be what? His son or his daughter. He wants you in his family. See, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, Dear friends in Rome, God loves you dearly, and he has called you to be his very own people. So what does it mean to be his very own people? Well, think about your own life. Who are your very own people? Or As they say, who your peeps? It's either your family, right? Your people are going to be either your family or your friends. And if it's your friends, maybe because you've got a broken relationship with your family, I'm pretty sure if you're real close to your friends, you've probably said the following. My friends are like family. So family there is the central, it's the central relationship unit, group in the world. And God wants you to be in that, in His family. And if He's got a family, then clearly He's the Father, He's the head of it. And so the relationship God has created for you is to be His son or His daughter. So let that sink in for a second. The Creator of the universe doesn't want you to be His minion. He wants you to be His son or His daughter. He wants you to be His child. God wants a family to love, and He wants you in it. There's this verse in 1 John chapter 3. I love it. It says, in the Amplified Version, it says, What an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us, that we should be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. When I was growing up in a Baptist church, that verse was a song that we sang. It went, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Anybody know that one? Some of my classic friends there know it. Yes, probably dates me a little bit. And then it's like a round, and we go back and forth, and the men and the women. I won't keep going, but yes, I love it. But here in the Amplified Version, it adds to that. We're named the children of God. We're called the children of God. We're counted the children of God. Well, that begs the question, why? It's because we are the children of God. And again, that's your number one calling in life. Again, your main purpose in life is not to accomplish something. It's not to make something of yourself. It's not to make a lot of money or be famous or have a lot of fun. Let that be a little gut check for you there. If you're choosing to have one of these other things here, having fun or making money or making something of yourself or having accomplishments, and that's your main purpose in life, instead of just being God's child, well, you're not alone. There's a lot of us who struggle, have struggled with that, do struggle with that. So um, that's okay. and That's something that we have to go through in the human experience. And I think, in reality, most people have never really truly experienced the love of God. Maybe you've heard about it. Or maybe you would even say, hey, I know that God loves me. Oh, hum, God loves me. Yeah, whatever. Right? And I think if you have that attitude, it means that you don't really get it. Because if you got it, you'd be really excited. You'd be like, wow, God loves me. Have you ever heard that expression? You missed, he missed heaven by 18 inches. Well, that's really close. Well, 18 inches is the distance from your heart to your head, right? You've caught the idea of God's love in your head and not in your heart. See, I think God's love has to be experienced at the seat of our emotions, which we would say is our heart, right, in our culture, not cerebrally in our head. That's the only way we're going to truly get it. See, the Bible tells us God's love is extravagant and lavish and beyond comprehension. God loves you on your good days and on your bad days, when you feel it, and when you don't feel it, when you think you deserve it, And when you don't think you deserve it, which if you're like me, most days you don't think you deserve it. You know, you can't make God stop loving you. God will never love you any more than He does at this very second. And you know what? God also will not love you any less than He does at this very second. So you might say, how is that possible? Well, it's because God's love is not based on who you are or what you do. It's based on who He is. And what is God? Love. That's right. So if we go to Ephesians 3 in the Bible, it says this. Apostle Paul speaking. He says, I pray, and I think in a similar way, the pastors and I are praying for each of you. As we go through this series of what on earth am I here and answering the question. He says, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust Him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love really is. And may you experience the love of Christ. See, he says that, experience. Not just know it, experience it. He says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great you will never fully understand it. See, I have five kids at home, and that brings a lot of chuckles into to my wife and I, as we relate to our kids. And so some of you know, and I appreciate some of you came and helped us here in the past couple of weeks. We moved from one house to another. Um, and our three-year-old Max, he had this really difficult, really, really hard time understanding the concept of moving. Maybe he gets it a little better now that we've moved. But before we moved, a couple of weeks prior to moving, he kept asking, Daddy, when we move, will we take my blanket? We'd say, will we take my toys? Will we take my Yoda? The kid loves Yoda. It's awesome, right? Just wait till Halloween. He's going to be dressed up as Yoda. See, he couldn't even... We had this thing where we were going to move just a piece at a time, right? We had it several days, and we were going to do a load so that when we got to the last day, it wasn't crazy. But he couldn't really even grasp that concept of moving gradually. And so he kept trying to cram his essential stuff into the car. Each of those days, we were gradually moving, and we kept having to stop it. But one day, he got his shoes past us and into the load. And so we woke up in the old house the next morning, and he had no shoes to wear. See, a simple thing like moving is just incomprehensible to our three-year-old, even though he's a pretty smart cookie. It was just way outside his ability to grasp it. In the same way, though, I think as it pertains to God's love, we're like that three-year-old. His love is so big, we have no ability to grasp God's love. So knowing that, look at this passage in Ephesians, and then what does it say? How big is it? It's wide and long and deep and high. And so we're going to go through each of these here. How wide is God's love? Well, it's wide enough to be everywhere. There's no place on this planet or even in the universe, that God's love isn't. There's no place where it ends where you just like get to the end of the flat earth and you drop off and you go, ah, there's no God's love out there. Nope. Everywhere you can go. So then think about the most awful place you could imagine. Maybe think of a slum or a deep cave, if you're like me, you just get the creeps thinking about deep, dark caves in the earth. Or maybe like a lonely mountain somewhere or in the far depths of cold space. But God's love is still there, because there's no place where His love is not present. It might be easy for you to say, well, yeah, that's fine. You can say that, but I don't see God, and I don't see His love. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. There's lots of things that you can't see that are real. So think about radio waves. Listen to the radio. You can't see the radio waves, but you can listen to your radio. Or how many of us have these? It it operates, right? The cell phone. We love our cell phones, but it operates on things that we can't see. Or even the wind is a good physical example. You can't see it, but we can see the effects. And God and His love are the same way. I think our problem is sometimes we're trying to look for the thing rather than its effects. And so when we think about God's love, we maybe need to think about looking for the results of God's love, and that maybe will help us see His love. It's like if you wanted to go see the wind... Right? You wouldn't run out on the street and be like, where's the wind? Right? You'd miss it. But if you were like, I'm going to go look for the effects of the wind, you'd see the trees blowing and the dirt going by, and you'd feel the wind on your face. And that's what, how we need to treat God's love. So how wide is God's love? It means that in your life there'll be no place that you go that God is not. And though there may be times where you feel lonely, you feel alone, you will never, never, ever truly be alone, because God's love is there, whether you're aware of it or not. It's wide enough to be everywhere. And God's love is also long. How long is God's love? It's long enough to last forever. But well, that makes it different from human love, right? Because human love has a tendency to wear out. That's why we have divorce and breakups and conflict. That's why we have people estranged from each other without reconciliation. It does often wear out. But God's love never wears out. God will never, 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 we'll just keep going with the never, stop loving you. Because if you choose to reject Him, even then, if you choose to reject Him, and you want to spend eternity separated from Him in hell, God will still love you then. Because God's love is eternal. It's everlasting. It will not stop ever. So how deep is God's love? It's deep enough to handle anything. It doesn't matter the pain you're going through, the problems you have, or the hurt you're experiencing. God's love is deeper still. But you might say to me, Man, I'm in the pit. in the pit of despair. But staring up at the bottom... You feel like you can't get any lower than that, but God's love is deeper and lower than your problems. There's no pit of emotions or challenges that are so deep that God's love is not deeper than that. It's deeper than any problem you ever have or ever will have. What about how high? How high is God's love? It's high enough to overlook my sins. Because of Jesus Christ, God is able to overlook my faults, my failure, my sin, my rebellion. And God offers this overlooking, which we could call forgiveness, through the cross because of His love. He offers you a fresh chance to start over. See, before anything ever existed, God had already thought of you, and He had decided to choose you and to love you. Again, that's a mind-boggling thought. And maybe God has been waiting your entire life for this moment right now. And I sort of think if He's waiting and you you don't have a relationship with Him, I think God might be saying something like this to you. He might be saying, you have no idea how much I love you. I've always loved you. There's never been a moment of your existence that I didn't love you. I allowed you to be conceived. I saw you formed inside your mom. I saw you take your first breath, heard your first cry. Never in your life have I turned my back on you. I've been uninterested in what you were doing, even while you were asleep. I've seen every pain, every heartbreak, every sin you've ever done. The celebrations, the happy times, the exhilaration, and the sad times, the grief and the pain. Seen every single moment of every single day, and whether you realize it or not, I was gazing on you in love because I made you to love you. So, let me ask you this crucial question thinking about God saying that to you. How would your life change if you began to be aware of God's unconditional, continuous, and never ending love for you? How would your life change if the first thing you thought of each morning was, Man, I'm deeply and unconditionally loved by God. How would that feel if we went about your day and felt the love of God in the common activities? Driving to work, studying, watching TV, working out, eating. How would this change your life, moment by moment? We can probably imagine it would make your life radically different. and so. As you consider that, and I hope that you would consider that, to consider letting God love you in this way, I'm going to give you five ways here that it'll transform your life. And I think there's going to be a lot more than five ways. There's probably hundreds of ways. We'll just focus on five here that I think are really important. The first way is that I will feel accepted rather than ashamed. And that'll change your life. Because most people go through their life... Their entire life, avoiding God. Why? Because of shame, or guilt, or condemnation, or the sense of judgment. This common thought the thinking that, hey, if God is so perfect and I am so imperfect, He'll just simply remind me of how awful I am, right? But the Bible disagrees with that. It says in Romans 5.1, By faith we have been made acceptable to God. And now, because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we live in peace with God. You see that word, acceptable? God accepts you completely, totally, and unconditionally. And that's why you can live in peace with God. And why is that important? Well, because it sets you free from this cycle of approval. You've probably spent your life trying to gain the approval of other people. The way you dress, the way you talk, the things you enjoy doing. But when you recognize that God's love for you has no conditions, none, of any kind, then you can realize, man, I don't need the approval of other people. I can be free. I don't need anyone's approval to be happy. And there's great freedom in that. The second way your life is going to be transformed is that I'll be bold in bringing my needs to God. But why can you be bold in your prayers? Let's go back to what we said before. You're a son of God, a daughter of God. You're his child. You're a member of the family. You know God loves you unconditionally. So when I pray to him, I can talk to him about anything because I'm his son. Again, having little kids is totally awesome. So they come to me and they'll ask me for anything. It's like they're completely dependent. Especially the little ones. It can be like simple stuff. Like, can I have milk on my oatmeal? I'm going to give you milk on your oatmeal, right? They say, can I have my Yoda in bed with me? (laughs) And that's the easy stuff to answer as a parent, right? And then sometimes they ask more difficult questions like, can we go to Red Robin for dinner? you got to understand, eating out with five kids is not cheap. So usually the answer is going to be no. And sometimes they even ask impossible questions that are impossible for me to answer in the way they want me to, like, can we go to Disney World? (laughs) It's just not in the cards for you kids. I'm sorry. (laughs) My point here is not the questions they ask, but their thoughts behind it. See, they think I know everything, that I have everything, that I can afford everything. The reality is, I don't. And I can't. But with God, He can. He does. He is all-powerful. In Romans chapter 8, it says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So, you should not be cowering like fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into His family, calling Him Father, Dear Father. Or some translations, they say Daddy. When we think about prayer, it's easy to slip into that pattern of thinking that we need to be praying in sort of a formal speech, like we're speaking to Congress, or giving our Master's dissertation, That thinking leads us to distance ourselves from God's love. This verse says instead, we should be bold and talk to Him not like the president, but talk to Him like your dad. Say, Father, Dad. The verse goes on, it says, And since we're His children, we will share in His treasures. Right? If you're a son or a daughter, you get the family inheritance. It says, For everything God gives to His Son, Christ is ours too. See, this kind of relationship gets you complete and total access to God. I was talking about this with my small group this past week, but it just drives me crazy when somebody will say something like, God doesn't care about such and such. He has much bigger things to be concerned with. But see, God is infinite, right? He's the Creator. He has infinite capacity to listen to you, and to talk to you, and to be with you. It's like He has a hard drive that will never fill up. There's complete and utter capacity. Scripture even tells us He knows the number of hairs on our heads, which I think is probably about the most pointless fact you could think of. Right? And it changes all the time. Like, if any of you lose hair, maybe that's just me and my age. I don't know. It's changing all the time, and He knows it all the time. And it just seems so utterly pointless to us. But if He has the capacity to that, to understand that and to know that, you can come boldly to God and talk to Him about anything, anytime, anywhere. No matter whether you think what you're asking or talking about is cosmos-shattering or not. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it reinforces this. It says, Let us then approach, and it's talking about prayer, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. According to this verse, you need to be bold in your prayer. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're loved unconditionally. And Jesus said, you can ask anything in His name so I can feel accepted rather than ashamed. I can be bold in praying my needs to my Father, who, by the way, is the creator of the universe. Still mind-boggling to me. The third change, I think, that can take place in our lives is that you'll have peace in pain that you don't understand. You're going to have a lot of things happen in your life that you just don't get. And you're going to find yourself asking all of the why questions. Why is this happening to me and my family? Why now? Why here? Why this? You're going to see crazy things happen in the world, like fires and floods if you live in Colorado, I guess. You're going to keep asking the questions. Why? 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 But let's be really clear about one thing when it comes to God, the Creator of the universe. He doesn't owe you an explanation for why He allows anything. The same way I don't owe my kids an explanation for every decision we make as a family. Because a lot of times they won't understand why we can't have dinner at Red Robin tonight. But remember, not everything that happens in the world is God's will either. See, it's very clear from the Bible that God hates all the evil things that happen. And you know, He's infinitely powerful. He could easily take away evil. And He could take away, as well, our freedom to do evil. Yeah, each of us has done some evil things in our lives. And God could get rid of all the suffering by taking away your choice and my choice. And making us all just into robots or puppets. But he wants us to voluntarily love him. So he puts up with pain because that's just the negative consequence of us having that choice. See, there's going to be lots of excruciatingly painful things in life you're not going to understand. I think of Emily Meyer in our church and her battle with Lyme disease. None of us who know her, know what they're going through, understands why. We can't answer the why questions. Why does her family have to deal with the immense physical and emotional challenges? But see, here's the deal. You don't have to understand painful things to be at peace. And really, does an explanation for things really give you peace anyway? If somebody close to you, someone that you love, passes away, And if someone was able to come up to you and give you, say, hey, here's an explanation for why, how that fits into the great picture, would you really be that much happier? You'd still have all that grief of the loss that you have to deal with. So instead of explanation, what God offers us instead to give us peace is His presence. Philippians 4.7 says it this way. It says, the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So what is this peace that passes all understanding? What does that look like? It's when you feel comfort even though you don't understand what's going on. When you have no reason and no explanation and no discernment. You don't know why what's going on is happening. But you do know that God is good. He's a good God and He loves you. He wants what's best for your life. Scripture promises us that. You can trust Him even though you don't understand what's going on. And that's the peace that passes understanding. This is reinforced in another promise in the Bible. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that in all things... And what does all mean? All. What's the Greek word for all? Come on, guys, you were here last night. It's all. God works in all things. Yes, good things and bad things. God works for the good. right? So it can be good or bad, and the outcome is good. God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Again, calling and purpose come together. We can be confident, because God's promised us this, that these things, these fires or floods or Lyme disease, whatever it is that you're facing in your life, we can be confident it's going to work itself out through God's plan for good. And that's what gives us the peace that passes understanding. The fourth thing that happens when I know I'm totally loved by God is that I gain courage to take risks. Some of you have probably experienced this, that when somebody believes in you, you're capable of accomplishing things you would never have been able to accomplish on your own simply because that person believes in you and believes in your ability. It gives you this additional power and this energy. But think about how does that affect you with God's unconditional love? think that that will do more than encourage you, it gives you that opportunity to be released from all fear. I think some of you, if you take an honest look at your life, you can say with confidence that fear has kept you from some of the dreams that maybe you've had. And that's maybe left you with a great void in terms of fulfillment, and you're really disappointed and lost when it comes to that. But in 1 John 4.18 it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. Remember, God is what? God is love. That's right. So He drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And when there's no fear, it's like those t-shirts, right? There's no fear, you have courage to take risks. The fifth thing that happens when you understand the love of God in your life is that you begin to worship instead of worry. What is worship? Well, as we go through this series, and if you join us on Wednesday night for small groups, we're going to be talking about that more this this coming week here. But simply put, worship is the expression of my love to God. See, anytime you can say to God, I love you, God, that's worship. You can worship in a small group. You can worship here in a church building or a church service. You can worship in your basement with the stereo cranked up to 11 playing the air guitar, right? I know you do it. You still don't do it when your roommates or your spouse are home, right? And you can express your your love to God in any way in worshiping. And worship is always a response to God. He first loved us, and so we respond. So when it comes to struggling with worship, the problem is not necessarily that we we don't love God. The problem is typically that we don't understand how much He loves us. And the clearest sign for us that we're struggling with worship is that we're worried, right? When you worry, you've forgotten how much God loves you. Worry is just like you're pretending that you're an orphan. Or you're saying, I've forgotten that I have a God who loves me and wants what's best for me. Worry is when you act like an atheist and act like there isn't a God. Worry is you pretending like you're on your own. But see, you're not on your own. And so you got to choose to worship instead of worry. Because you're going to do one or the other things for the rest of your life. You're either going to focus on your own problems or you're going to focus on God. And Jesus said this in the Bible. He says, Don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. I'll give you... Here's that word again. We give you all you need from day to day if you live for Him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Can you say this is true of your life? Would you like it to be true of your life? See, God wants to have this kind of relationship with you. He's called you into His love. It doesn't matter if you're a kid or a teen or an adult or someone who should be an adult but acts like a kid. No matter where you are, no matter the circumstances or the pain or whether you feel close to God or very far from God, God's waiting for you to accept your love. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, to all who believed Him, and he's talking about Jesus here, to all who believed Jesus, and accepted Him, so remember, He's accepted you, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. And so you can claim your rights as a child of God today. This could be your moment, actually, where you can claim those rights, where you understand why on earth you're here. And if you want to do that, I'm going to lead us on a time of prayer here, so as everybody closes your eyes and bows your head. Um, and you think about what God has done for you and His love for you because He is love. And if you want to turn your life over to Him and say, hey, I want, to, I want to recognize, God, that You love me and I want to receive that love and I want to have a right relationship with You, maybe you could just pray this prayer. I'll just pray it here and you could just sort of pray in your heart quietly um, after me. Something like this. We say, dear God... I'm so amazed at just how big your love for me is. That it it's wide enough to be everywhere, and long enough to last forever, deep enough to handle my problems, high enough to overlook my sins. It's all because of Jesus. God, I want to feel accepted rather than ashamed. I want to be bold in bringing my needs to you. I need the peace that passes understanding even in pain that I don't understand. God, I need your love to give me the courage to take risks, to go after my dreams. Jesus Christ, as best I know how, I give every part of my life to you and surrender. I want to learn to love you because you love me so much. I want to spend the rest of my life following my first calling of letting you love me. pray this in your name. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to hear from you. Or you could talk to one of the pastors or someone who you came with or met. Or if you'd like to mark it on one of those Connect cards and put it in the bucket at the back. Or we could talk to you about it a little more. would be great. Or maybe you came today and uh, you're still just examining and, and searching out truth. And I want to encourage you to please keep doing that. Um, in fact, I would encourage you to go home and just talk to God. You know, you don't have to have a right relationship with God to be able to talk with God. You can just ask God, say, "Hey, can you help me understand more about why on earth I'm here?" Um, and even just, I just encourage you, just to ask God, say, "Hey, could you show yourself to me and make yourself known? Help me answer these questions." And, of course, we'd love for you to join us on Wednesday nights in small groups. Um, there's information about that on the table. Uh, as we go through this and look at it a little deeper in a smaller group setting and have a discussion, and it's an opportunity to ask tough questions if you want to. Um, and, of course, we'd love to see you here again next Sunday or next Saturday night if you've been joining us for that. Um, we appreciate it. So um, hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Have a good one.